Hello and welcome to another episode of the Western Bubble. My name is Balder Hagraat and because Dario is a little under the weather today, I will be recording this episode by myself. That means that this is not going to be a full-blown episode uh, for our regular recordings. You will have to wait until next week when we discuss the Western Bubble and democracy. But today I am only going to give a little bit of analysis commentary um, on international relations and foreign policy from the past week, very much along the lines of the extra episodes that Dario and I recorded this past month, um, already one on the Chinese balloon flying into US airspace, and another one on Vladimir Putin's decision to suspend Russian cooperation with the nuclear start treaty. And today, I'm going to focus on the big news of this week, which is namely the restoration of diplomatic ties between Iran and Saudi Arabia, which is going to have some significant regional consequences. It is also a fascinating example of the changing times. If you like, geopolitical tides are moving in a different direction than they were, let's say, 20 years ago. And this is a very good case study of that. And thirdly, it also very cruelly exposes the Western bubble that many Western policymakers are in. Um, The way that Washington and many European capitals perceive the world is an antiquated version of reality. It's something that maybe made sense in the 1990s, but certainly in 2023 is no longer the reality that uh, the rest of the world perceives. And as a result, the West is in danger of no longer keeping up with those dynamics and giving away increasing amounts of geopolitical and and diplomatic space to rival actors. Now, whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't have a judgment on. But as we in our podcast discussed the Western bubble, I thought it would be interesting to show how this Saudi-Iranian deal is actually a very good example of this problem that the West faces. We will link um, some newspaper articles on the events from the past couple of days in the description of the episode for those of you who haven't followed the news, but a quick contextual overview. Since the Islamic Revolution in Iran in 1979, Saudi Arabia and Iran have been rivals for regional dominance. They have been fighting each other, not openly, but certainly uh, through proxy conflicts and through diplomatic and economic conflicts, they have been fighting for dominance in the Middle East. And um, they have done so with rather different methods. Um, Saudi Arabia is, of course, a smaller country in terms of population than Iran, but it has a much higher GDP per capita because of its significant oil supplies. And it has very good diplomatic ties, which, by the way, are also related in many ways to its oil. And it has a high-tech standing uh, military, whereas Iran has maybe a larger military, but not as well-funded, is not as rich in terms of per capita GDP, and has been very much isolated over the past 30, 40 years, especially by sanctions coming from the West. That's has been a continued story um, 
throughout the Middle East, which meant that Saudi Arabia could sort of harness its diplomatic ties um, and its significant economic clout to influence governments to behave in certain ways, um, whereas Iran has had to deal with local groups trying to undermine certain regimes, um, supporting Hezbollah, supporting Hamas, um, supporting groups in Iraq, certainly after the fall of Saddam Hussein, and of course, supporting the Houthis in the war against uh, Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and supporting groups on the side of the uh, Assad regime in Syria as part of the Syrian civil war. Now, what's interesting there is that over the past five or six years, it has become clear that Iranian policy, despite its very clear limitations, despite its economic and diplomatic isolation, Iranian foreign policy has been quite successful. Uh, the West has lost tremendous amounts of power in the Middle East, not so much because of Iran, but mostly because of its own stupidity, its own um, mistakes with respect to the war on terror, their overly aggressive approach towards invading Iraq, towards Syria, towards Libya. They've lost a lot of credibility, a lot of legitimacy in the eyes of the world and certainly in the eyes of Middle Eastern countries. And um, they, since the end of the main hostilities within Syria and the continued existence of the Assad regime, the West has essentially been kicked out as in terms of a important influential foreign player. And now the Middle East is much more dominated by countries such as Russia and China from the outside and Iran and Turkey and of course Egypt um, more on the inside. That loss of Western power in itself is not a bad thing at all, of course. It just means that the West has to adjust. But what they continued to do was play the same game. And one of those items that the West has continuously focused on is trying to isolate Iran and somehow waiting for regime change to occur in Iran. And until this past week, it seemed that they had at least the support of this other very important player, Saudi Arabia. There had been already signs of changing times in terms of Israel, for example, Israel getting much closer to the Gulf states, Iran and Russia working together, Russia also working together with Saudi Arabia, Israel working together with Russia, China, China being essentially involved almost everywhere in the Middle East. Um, so those were all signs that the West was losing ground, but at least they still had their focus on Iran with Saudi Arabia as a staunch ally. Now, since this week, that is questionable at the very minimum, right? Because uh, when Saudi Arabia says we're going to establish ties with, with Iran, something else is going on. Um, it means that the West is basically exposed as being very, very lonely in its geopolitical approach to the world. And even though, of course, it would be very interesting to look at regional implications of this news of Iran and Saudi Arabia working together, or at least talking again, openly. Uh, those regional implications are not really what the Western bubble is about, because the Western bubble is about the West, right? But of course, it's going to have an interesting impact, uh, which is not easy to foresee exactly what it will be like, but it will have an impact on Yemen. It will have an impact on um, countries such as Lebanon, it will have an impact certainly on Syria, and it uh, certainly is also going to open the door to 
China and Russia to take a more prominent role in Middle Eastern politics. But more about that in a second. Let's first have a look um, at how this impacts the Western position, because after all, this podcast is the Western bubble. And the Western approach to geopolitics over the past 30 years or so is one of either you're with us or you're against us. Either you understand that we are the summit of what humanity should try to achieve. We are liberal, we are democratic, we are capitalist, and everyone else at some point is going to be like us. And either you get on board with the program or you're against us, and then we will fight you. And this has been very clear in the way that the West has positioned itself militarily, but also diplomatically, and also in terms of the media, right? So countries such as Iran and countries such as China, and in the past Libya, and of course currently Russia, are all portrayed as outsiders to the core of global politics, and its core is supposedly the West. And as a result, the West has used a very binary foreign policy towards the rest of the world. Either you're on your path to Western enlightenment, or you're on the other side, you're, you're with the bad guys. And people such as Secretary of State Antony Blinken from the United States has displayed this on numerous occasions, even over the past couple of months, where he essentially said to countries, told countries, that they have to make a choice for the West and against, for example, Russia. And if they don't do that, then they will be punished for it. But what's interesting is that you see more and more increasingly that these other countries, I'm talking about countries such as India or South Africa, they don't really care about playing this game anymore. They are not interested in having to make a choice about who they should align themselves with. This is no longer the Cold War. This is no longer the 20th century. They no longer have to identify as Western or identify as non-Western. They no longer have to identify as liberal and democratic on the one hand or authoritarian or dictatorial on the other hand. They just don't want to play that game anymore. And because the West doesn't seem to understand this, doesn't seem to understand that the rest of the world no longer perceive this, perceives this as a binary question, as one of either following the United States or following China, they keep on repeating the same mistakes over and over again. The fact that now Iran and Saudi Arabia are talking again means that the West has just lost another very important talking point for them. They can no longer argue that Iran is this symbol of everything that's wrong with the world. They can no longer argue that Iran needs to be contained in the way that they would like to contain it. If the biggest rival of Iran over the past 40 years is happy to re-establish ties, then that means something. And not just that, how did these ties get re-established? Well, the agreement was signed and announced in Beijing, of all places. It was organized by the Chinese government, which shouldn't come as a, as a surprise to people who have been following international relations, because China portrays itself as a modern global power, as someone who, as a, as a state that understands that this is not about military might, it is not about invading countries, it's not about aggressively forcing countries to follow a certain ideology. China doesn't really care that much about ideology. They 
wants to position China as the core of the global economy. And anyone who wants to cooperate with them is welcome, ir irrespective of what your internal ideology, your internal political makeup is. And China has a good basis for this. What is that basis? Well, they've been very consistently saying and acting um, in a way that a 21st century superpower should behave, namely not invading countries, not aggressively uh, forcing countries to change their political systems. Instead saying we're here to uh, cooperate in a peaceful way. We're here to uh, work together with countries, to work together with the UN, to work together with global organizations. And we don't believe it is up to us to decide for other countries how they should run their internal domestic affairs. As long as they respect the basic rules of sovereignty and those kinds of issues, then we are there with them. Now, this is of course a narrative, this is also a kind of Chinese propaganda, but it contrasts very, very nicely against the completely confused and rudderless West that somehow has way too much power in terms of military and economics, but no longer has any clue on how to position itself in global affairs. And so that Chinese propaganda sounds in many ways much more convincing than Western propaganda. Why is that? Because the Chinese can actually point out that they haven't invaded any country lately, that they haven't got a military infrastructure all around the world, unlike the United States and their European allies who have been bombing in Libya, in Syria, in uh, Iraq, in Afghanistan, and they're supporting Israel in bombing um, uh, still now in the region. Those are all items that, that China can point at and say, look, they are the aggressors, they are the bad guys. And India or Saudi Arabia or Iran or South Africa or Nigeria, if you want to be part of a thriving 21st century with a global community that respects each other, that works together on economics instead of imposing its will on others, then you should look to us, you should look towards Beijing. And the fact that... Saudi Arabia and Iran have now come to this agreement, this understanding in Beijing as part of that Chinese strategy of positioning itself as the peaceful broker in international relations is incredibly damaging for Western geopolitics. It is all very good news, not just for China, but also for Russia, uh, because everything that breaks up the West in many ways um, is, is good news for everyone else, right? Because it gives more options available to everyone. It certainly is not an accident that over the past year there has been increasing contact between Saudi Arabia and Russia and Iran and Russia. So you see these very complex networks evolving that have one thing in common. They do not include Western Europe and they do not include North America. Uh, the same could be said about Turkey, right? Turkey has been moving increasingly away from the West and has tried to position itself also with respect to Ukraine as an independent broker and not simply an extension of Western geopolitics. And this should become a wake-up call for the capitals in Europe, for Paris, for London, for Brussels, Berlin, and also for Washington, that they're very aggressive and myopic and weirdly arrogant approach to who they are versus the rest of the world is no longer working and that they need to change it, that they need to adjust their bother, that they need to think of a new strategy for the next 50 years or so, because 
otherwise they will be left behind. Um, the fact that Iran and Saudi Arabia are already moving on in world affairs should be a huge, huge wake-up call. I say this as someone who is obviously incredibly frustrated by the Western bubble, by the delusion, the arrogance that exists in the West, but also someone who still believes that the West has a lot of value to offer to the world and someone who very happily lives in a Western country. So I, um, I, I, I do look forward to following the reaction of Western capitals, uh, the reaction of maybe policymakers, and um, if we notice major changes in their attitudes. Now, of course, we will report that in this podcast in the future. Like I said, next week we will start a two-parter on democracy. Uh, please let us know if you enjoy these shorter, more current sort of analytical episodes. A quick shout out to Dario, get well soon, and all the best to our listeners for now. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.